suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. Despite the reputation of their homeland, some are remarkably thin-skinned, some seem to have multiple lifespans, a few were once thought to be extinct in the region, others have been observed being sacrificed by their own. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. We're up to episode 172. It is the 1st of November 2018. If you're joining us for the first time, we're a little panel discussion group where we talk about things going on in the world, mainly in Australia. We're looking at news, politics, and especially religion. And we're discussing the events and seeing what's behind them and what are the greater implications and my name is Trevor, I am the Iron Fist, and joining me as always is Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day Trevor, g'day listeners, and tonight I'm drinking a Pirate Life IPA, thanks very much to Woz for that, and afterwards I'll be going in to have a, uh, Pacific, a Stone and Wood Pacific Ale, thanks very much to Landon Hardbottom. Mm, it's pretty good this one. It is, yes. Mm. Normally at this point, I would then introduce Paul, the 12th man. But Paul, uh, at the last minute, uh, rang in six, got a sore back. So he's lying flat on his bed, recovering. And, and you're in our thoughts and prayers, Paul. Yes, thoughts and <laughs> prayers. <laughs> that won't help. So in times of need, when this podcast you know, needs help, needs outside assistance, needs to call almost send up a sort of a bat signal and get get help, we, we call on uh, our very own Deep Throat. Deep Throat, Craig, welcome aboard uh, for the second time. Thank you. Thank you, Fist. Thank yeah. you. And uh, hello, listeners. Yep. So Deep Throat, uh, he only found out at the last minute, so he hasn't read any of the articles that we're going to talk about, so excuse him if he has a lack of detail, but we're expecting great insight from you anyway, Deep Throat. I would do my best. Mm. <laughs> Right. So, uh, dear listener, as you know, we're obsessed about religion and the, and the role it plays in our society. And so we've got a fair bit of, uh, a fair number of religious topics to get across in the news this week. And um, first up, in Victoria, the opposition leader, Matthew Guy, announced at an Australian Christian lobby forum, so there's, you know, the alarm bells are ringing already. <laughs> That religious instruction classes, uh, if he wins government, will be reintroduced into the Victorian state school curriculum. Uh, you know, the, the guys worked very hard in Victoria to get rid of those lessons and to have an opposition leader promising to bring them back. It must be... So it's like a game of whack-a-mole, isn't it, with these guys? You, if you have a victory, but they just... They're relentless. They just bob up. It's its like mowing grass. You've just got to do it every <laughs> every week. Um, Scott, what's there to say except good luck, Victoria? Well, I would say good luck, Guy. I don't think he's going to win. Mm. You know, um, you've got to look at Daniel Andrews' record and that sort of thing. And, you know, 
I would have thought that the voluntary euthanasia laws would be enough to get him over the line. And then he's also gone and taken scripture classes out of out of schools. He's done a hell of a lot of good stuff for Victoria, and he's done it in a very secular light, despite the fact that he is a practicing Christian. So, you know, I think that um, Daniel Andrews deserves another term. Um, yeah. And I would have thought that Guy promising something like this would guarantee he will be opposition leader again after the poll. Yeah, I think Victorians, having discovered uh, religious instruction-free schools, will feel like they don't want it back. So I think that's going to go against this um, liberal guy in Victoria. Mm, You'd hope so. You would hope so. Um, But, of course, it opens up a can of worms in in terms of discussion. So um, the Twelfth Man is a big fan of the drum. Do you guys ever watch the drum? Occasionally. I watched it today, or half of it today. Okay. The articles he always points me to are just, um, they drive me crazy, the the sort of politically correct talk that they have on there. It it seems very accommodating to some strange views, that that program. Yeah, I do find myself... It is very accommodating, yeah. Yeah, I find myself sort of rather high in my tone as I sort of respond right. to, to the TV <laughs> okay. I'm watching here. Well, here's a bit from the drum. This is Caroline, Oving- Caroline Overington who was talking about this issue. So have a listen to this and see how you go. Terrifically important to teach religion in state schools. I think one of the, um, one of the problems sometimes with attending a state school is that you don't get religious education. You should be able to opt out if you're opposed. But definitely I think there are, there are children who come out of um, schools these days who don't know what's in the Bible and what's Star Wars. You know, they're, they're, they're confused about the, the greatest contribution to civilization ever, which is religion, in particular the Judeo, Jude, Judeo-Christian religions. And it's a great shame, I think, that they come out of school not questioning them, not knowing about them, not being able to interrogate them, not being able to debate the issues, not knowing some of the most important influences behind music, behind art, behind beauty, behind creativity, behind um, the soulfulness of the human race, the, 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 um, the things that bind us together. And it's a, it's a terrible shame that in Australia today, if you want your children to be exposed to that enormous and wonderful landscape, you have to send them private and you have to pay. Well, why should that be? So one of the things we could do is to make sure that religions are taught by teachers. So it would be a kind of um, interdisciplinary um, process of learning about comparative religions. I think one of the big problems with religious education has been that it's been taught by evangelists in the classroom. Well, now's your chance, Craig. You know, you've got an audience to read at there. <laughs> Um, can I, can I just say, I hate the term Judeo-Christian. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I guess that sort of gets the blood a bit warm. Um, but just to put it this way, can I agree with her? All right, oh, good. Yeah, can I agree with her? Because mm-hmm. I think it is important to be uh, educated about religion. Um, but is she talking about religious education or is she talking about religious instruction? I suspect it might be religious instruction. Well, well wasn't was, there wasn't there a second woman that was arguing for religious education? Y- yes, in that. Yeah, yeah. So the, the first woman was um, Overington. Mm. The second oh. woman was someone else. Yeah, was it? Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So she was actually the one that was arguing that it should be education. Mm. Yeah, the okay. second woman. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry, I thought. So I agree. Person. I agree yeah. with I agree yeah. with the second woman's position that you should yeah. have an education there. It should be taught yeah. by teachers. Yeah. Um, 
Because it, let's face it, you know, religion is everywhere, and uh, unless you've got some sort of grip on it, you can't know how to respond to it. You can't know how to deal with it. And uh, if you don't know anything about religious, um, the religions around the world and in our society, then if you get approached by these religious religions, and I would like to think of them as cults, then you can easily fall into into their um, influence. So I think it's not a bad idea to know a bit about religion. Yeah. Well, I think that I think you're right. I think you've got to have some sort of knowledge of it, and um, particularly uh, brother. Joseph, who was speaking to us last week, how he said he knew nothing about the Mormon faith except that his fiance was um, a Mormon. And he said he fell into it and he was given all these books and all that sort of stuff. He said it was all pre-internet days. He said, yeah. but they hate the internet because that shines a light on their whole religion. So, yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Knowledge is, is power, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it? yeah. 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 Mm. It, it was scheduled for later in the podcast, but I'm going to talk now about... Secular confirmation ceremonies. Have you ever heard of them before? Oh, vaguely. Right. So they happen in different uh, sort of Scandinavian uh, countries, but the one I've got a link to is one in Iceland. And they have civil confirmation ceremonies, so rather than a religious confirmation, a a civics sort of course. So it's an 11-week education program and ceremony designed for teenagers aged 13 to 14, and it's a secular alternative to the religious confirmation ceremony. Um, So at the end, they have a bit of a festival and uh, um, a ceremony and there's speeches and other bits and pieces. But um, actually, um, at the end, uh, they get a diploma and the diploma says uh, civil confirmation in the year. It is hereby confirmed that, Joe Bloggs, has completed the Sedment Civil Confirmation course. It is our hope that you will use the instruction guidance that you have received to be a broad-minded person of great integrity. Welcome into the society of adulthood with all the responsibilities that go with it. Nice little sort it's, of it's sentiment. It's got a nice ring to it. Yeah. Hmm. But the topics covered in the 11th, 11-week course Critical thinking, ethics, human relations, human rights, media literacy, scepticism, what it means to be an adult and take responsibility for your opinions, um, being a teenager in consumer society, relationships with parents, prejudice and multiculturalism, substance abuse, self-image, happiness, the meaning of life, this is all in 11 (laughs) weeks, and respecting the environment. But that's the sort of thing that we're talking about here, which... Uh, a bit more broader, I guess, than a, than a straight religious education course. But, you know, that Carolyn Overington was being very disingenuous because she should know that the sort of course that's being brought back uh, is an indoctrination course, is what the deputy or the opposition leader is proposing. It's not an education course. It's an indoctrination with scripture and Bible lessons, etc. And... Um, so the picture she was painting was not the sort of instruction that was being aimed at. I'm sure you're right. I'm mm. sure you're right. And I think the giveaway is the fact he was um, delivering this to the ACL, which yes. <laughs> yeah. the target audience um, says it all, I think. Yeah. Mm. So I'd love to see an Australian group do <coughs> civil confirmation ceremonies. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. Um, I do notice in that list that they actually don't talk about 
any religions there in terms of education that so they they, they might be tiptoeing around that a little bit yeah i guess skepticism might take it into yeah, perhaps they've got that right. as a sub sub yeah. um, um title yeah that. um and ethics but yeah some sort of comparative religion would be add that to the comparatively to the top that's yes, good term. where you could yes. say you know these are the basic ideas of each of the major religions so that people have a bit of a starting point of the yes. basics yeah so so anyway good luck victoria i think it makes the decision really easy in terms of the vote <laughs> it does you know it, it's it's one of those bloody crazy things that i think to myself i cannot understand where the liberal party is headed you know i i do not understand why they think there's votes in it because they're not they're just abandoning the center the center is going to be occupied by the labor party the labor party will govern for a generation yeah yeah, um, but there's also that um, branch stacking that's occurring in Victoria. Oh, yeah, well. I know that. Yeah, you, I think you've that's got... where it's coming from. So it might not be huge numbers, but they're in the right place. Yeah, I know you've got the branch stacking done by the Mormons because mm. what is it, 0.3% of the population is Mormon, but 13% of, of the uh, administrative issue, hierarchy is, mm. is, uh, is occupied by Mormons in the Liberal Party. Mm. Yes, yes. Mm. <coughs> right. Uh our universities are they're, they're following a path similar to the American process, it seems. And we did previously a little bit on Bettina Arndt and her look at the statistics in terms of sexual abuse on, on university campuses. And really, on the figures, it looked like the, you know, sexual abuse was no more prevalent on a university campus than anywhere else in general life and perhaps even even safer. So um, what we've got here, dear listener, is a link to an article. Uh, the University of Technology in Sydney is um, withholding exam results from students until they undergo an online training course on sexual consent and um, they have to, of course... Um, Get a hundred percent on the exam, I think it says. So, so no, no results until you've undertaken a compulsory exam to demonstrate your knowledge of sexual consent in today's world. What do you reckon on that one? Uh, I think in a lot of industries, including higher education, there are a lot of these sort of prima type. Um, courses pop, um, popping up that you have to do and I, I think they're more or less uh, uh, it's a way of just getting across basic information and they're doing it in a form of you know it's probably a multi-choice type thing so I don't read that much into it mm-hmm. um, so yeah I don't think it's particularly a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Scott? Well... You're clearly a voice of moderation in this room. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> you are. It's good. Yeah. yeah. I'm not convinced that, uh, you know, I, I would have thought that what you've got to do is you've got to, you've got to break the silence when it comes to sexual assault. You've got to say to girls, if someone does something to you that you didn't want to have happen, you have to speak up, you have to report him, you have to do that. Or her. Or her. Well, whatever. Or she. Or she. Yeah, okay. We'll go. We'll go with your traditional. Yeah, we'll yeah. go with the traditional view of sexual assault, which is a guy on a girl, right? So couldn't help myself. Yeah, fair enough. Um, 
So you, you've got to get a situation where a girl goes, you've got to get them comfortable enough to go and report the incident. And then after that, the whole thing takes care of itself, I would have thought. Now, surely guys are hearing the same messages that I heard when I was at secondary school, which was, you know, no means no. You know, I don't know. But um, I couldn't tell you. But, you know, I, I think it's a bit of a beat up, but... You know, it's probably one of those, like you said, it's probably a multi-choice exam and that sort of stuff that you do online, you get it out of the way with and you move on. So Yeah, I think it probably is something like that. But I think just because you understand it from that point of view doesn't mean everyone understands it from that point of view, what their, their background might not make that explicit uh, in their life. And so I think this is a way of getting it out there explicitly by making everyone do this type of activity. Um, there, I know in general practice, because I'm a retired GP, mm-hmm. that there was a similar sort of thing that you went through for cultural awareness in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders mm-hmm. um, to make GPs aware of cultural considerations. Now, mm-hmm. I think you can look at it the same sort of way. You can say, oh, well, I know this stuff, you know, and it's, it's pretty common sense and it's mm-hmm. pretty obvious. But I think making it explicit sort of puts it out there a bit more. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea. I could imagine when it comes to being a doctor for uh, an Aboriginal community, that would be quite helpful because uh, my understanding is, for example, that uh, in Aboriginal culture they're very reluctant to say no to anybody's request, even if they don't want to. It's sort of it's just one of those things. that. So if it's teaching you cultural things so that you can get better information out of the patient, that makes sense to me. Yep. Was it that sort of stuff in there? There was that sort of stuff in there, yeah. But not a lot, not a lot, just very simple stuff. Yep. So that performs a function to train you to be a better, you know, GP. Uh, I I can see that's fine. From the university, I'm thinking, well, the statistics are that there's no, you know, universities are no worse than the general community their function is to teach people higher education in a particular discipline. Their function isn't to cure all of the ills of the world. I mean, do we teach people compulsorily about not littering and about caring for the environment and all these other things to stop global warming? I mean, where do you stop if you're going to start taking on other things? You know, if, if, if it was rampant in universities that there was a particular issue, maybe, but... If it's just on board with the rest of the community, then, you know, really, do we want universities doing everything? Surely they have a role to do, teach teach tertiary education and other areas deal with other things. Well, I can understand where you're coming from, but I do think that I would probably take the side of Craig here a little bit where I just think to myself, well, it's no big deal, you know, mm. just move it and get it over with so you can get your results. Yeah. Actually, I'm a little bit disappointed in the res- in those figures. If the figures are just showing that universities are no better than the rest of the community, that's well, fine. But yeah. shouldn't they, you know, we're talking about the people who are supposed to be smarter than... Well, than arguably, others. they were actually better. Were they? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. yeah. They were difficult uh, statistics because they included travel to and from university, like you're oh, on the public okay. bus and things like that. And yeah. they included a very wide definition of of 
of sexual assault. harassment mm. where if a girl felt that somebody was just looking at her, then that was an harassment of sorts. Oh, so, okay. All and right. it was a, a subjective feeling on behalf of the victim. That So not a great study. So, yeah, so studies you know, can, just by the way they're um, put together, <laughs> can sway things one way or the other. Yeah. You know, yeah. certainly as my teenage daughters went off to a university, it wasn't for a minute thinking, whoops, be careful there, girls. You know, it was more the between the bus and home walking that I was more worried about, not at university. Sure. And would you? I mean, your your gut instinct, what would it say? Do, do you think? Um, do, do you feel that universities are inherently more dangerous? No, I don't. Yeah. No, I don't. I, I, I think they're probably the same yeah. as the rest of the community. Yeah. Um, so I that's just my that gut instinct. Yeah. My gut feel would be that mm. they're actually slightly better than the rest of the rest of society, I would have thought. Mm. You know, because like you said, you've got very smart people there. So, mm. Anyway, next topic, um, birth certificates in Tasmania. Apparently the Greens and Labor think in Tasmania that, well, do we really need to put gender on a birth certificate? So, <laughs> so that's, uh, that's what they're saying, is that, um, that they would remove gender from birth certificates. Why? Well, because for transgender people, it becomes awkward that they've got to change things and then they're nominated and then they've got to fight against that nomination. So that's the reason why. But transgender have got to change their name, don't they? No, not necessarily. Okay. Billy, Billy Jean, Billy Smith, I guess, you know, not necessarily. <laughs> I deep, think deep throat's really scratching his head on this one. <laughs> yes, I am a little, but um, it's a very uh, gender is a very specific thing in our lives as humans, um, including transgender. I, I, you know, I'm not a transgender person, but I think it is specific to them if they're changing from a female gender to a male gender, then they're identifying with a male gender. So. I would have thought that they would like to put male gender down there. And as long as there's a mechanism to be able to change that gender, if they change their gender, then I would have thought that was okay. Mm. Now, there may be those, and, uh, and I'm sure there are, because like all things in society, it's never black and white. There's often gradations of things. There may be a role for people not to put their gender down, with, or, or say not specified or... Unsure, or I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. Um, I'd have to look into it more to get a better feel of what's about. But I think people should be able to nominate their gender on important documents. Um, does that sound reasonable? Mm, so you're saying it could be optional, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yes, yes. See, uh, my view would be that. What's a birth certificate's function? It's simply to declare where you were born and the date. Because that's really what we need to know for various government reasons. And it doesn't, it shouldn't matter what your sex is for any government benefits or, or status or anything like that. So I'm kind of, I don't care really. I think you just need to register the birth and the date and, and where. And But the thing is, you know, 
for anybody wanting to travel overseas, surely overseas countries are going to want to just... There's a box there to say male or female. And if a passport or whatever doesn't say, then then it's just going to cause grief. So just from a purely making life easy for people, when we leave the fair shores of Australia, we should probably have male-female on birth certificates just so that we can have it on a passport so that we can then move around the world easily because unless everybody's doing this, it's just going to not work, is it? That's a very good argument. First right, go. I'm sold on it. <laughs> All right, there you go. Good. Are you going to argue with me on that one, Scott? No, you're okay no, with I'm it? I'm yeah. okay with it. Yeah. I, I think yeah. the whole transgender thing has been blown way out of proportion. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a very small number of people that do have to deal with it. So I would have thought that we should just leave them be, mm. let them decide for themselves. Mm. But I did like your argument that mm. it's just a a um, record of birth, isn't it? So mm. it doesn't matter what gender you are. You, if you're born, you're born. That's mm. it. Yeah. yeah, should be. Right. Um, deep throat, <clears throat> you, you, one of your key aspects of being you know, with this podcast is that you attend events on our behalf, <laughs> or you have a few times, <laughs> and you've joined us on our, on our field excursions. Yes, into, I have. Into enemy territory. Enemy territory? Yeah. I've even done a solo, uh, <laughs> solo visits into enemy territory as well. You did, yeah, yeah. So uh, there's one coming up, dear listener, in Brisbane. The Freedom for Faith group are doing a talk. Um, it's called A Night for Briefing, Questions and Prayer. And it's a free event and it's on Thursday the 15th of November, 7pm at the Auditorium Queensland Theological College. We're going. Scott, you going? I'm going, yeah. Yep. I just registered, yeah. Yep. I imagine the 12th man will be going and uh, Deep Throat will be there. I'm certainly going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> so join us. We're going to go and attend and we're going to be respectful, but if there's a Q&A at the end, we'll be putting our hand up and trying to ask some some questions and... We'll probably, at the end of the event, head to a coffee shop nearby, if there is one, and debrief. And um, so if you're in the Brisbane area on the 15th of November and you want to join us for that, you are more than welcome. Um, you do have to register beforehand, so we will put them in the we'll put the registration link in the show notes. Yes, it's a free ticket, but uh, you do need to do that to make sure you get one. So do that. And if you're going to be there, uh, shoot us a message so we know to look out for you. So um, very good. I'm looking forward to it. Yes. <laughs> it's always good fun. Your old friend David Van Gend will probably be there. That's oh, I can sweet. only hope. I can only hope. Yeah, yeah. But there'll be all sorts of characters possibly there. So, um, yeah, it'll be good. So uh, I was in Sydney last week um, and I um, met up with three of our patrons down there. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Had a great time. Yeah, it was really good. So... Uh, big shout out to Tony, Ken, and Gavin, and mm-hmm. um, met the pub down there. Had a good chat. It was, mm-hmm. you know, one of those things where um, people who <coughs> don't really know each other, but we're all on the same page because, well, they've all been indoctrinated by me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not fair. They're not indoctrinated, but you yeah, know, you're starting your own cult here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're across the same topics, and we could immediately launch into discussions that. Um, Without any sort of uh, preamble of small talk, we just you know straight, straight into, into it. it. <laughs> so it was great. So uh, we're going to try and do that again, and I'm going to be down in Sydney again, uh, January slash February, sometime around there. So that'll be good. We'll do it all again. If you're in the Sydney area, uh, make contact with me and let me know. Right, more international news. 
So there was a lady in Austria, and she she's in her late 40s, identified only as ES. And during some public seminars in 2009, she said that the Prophet Muhammad's marriage to a young girl was akin to paedophilia. And in 2011, a Viennese court convicted her of disparaging religious doctrines, ordered her to pay a uh, 480 euro fine plus costs, and that was later upheld by the Austrian Appeals Court. And just recently, the European Court of Human Rights came out and said, yeah, that was all fair enough by the court system. Uh, She deserved every, every bit of that punishment. So all she did was say that the Prophet Muhammad's marriage uh, to a young girl was akin to paedophilia, and boom, uh, she's done. That's terrible. bit rough. Yeah. It was Very more rough. than a bit rough. It was bloody disgusting is what it was. It is, yeah. That's dangerous. Very dangerous. That's really dangerous, yeah. yeah. And we're talking a civilised country of Austria here. We're... Well, I've changed my mind slightly <laughs> on it. <laughs> yeah. This sort of kowtowing to, you know... The sensibilities of, of, you know, of people taking offence. Mm. Uh, I mean, Muhammad was, you know, with an underage girl. It's clear. There's yes. no doubt about it. I guess, I guess if you could make the argument that have been in some cultures and societies, uh, ceremonial marriages mm. of young girls, but they're not consummated and maybe the girl doesn't even go to the husband's um, house or anything like that until mm. they're of age. Mm. Um, so that's a possibility, but we know that's not true in this situation because when was it Aisha or Aisha yes. wasn't it? Wasn't yes. she six or something like that when they when, first when got it was married? married and yes. then nine when the, ma- when the marriage was consummated. So yeah. in my book, nine sort of makes it paedophilia. Yes. I think it was about thirteen when the two of them sat down and watched uh, an entire tribe of Jews have their heads chopped off. Um, mm. So yeah, she saw a lot for a young girl. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Ken and Malik wrote about this, and he, I thought he did a very good job. Mm, he made some good points, and he said, <clears throat> you know, from the religious point of view, be very careful what you wish for. It's a two edged sword, this sort of offence. So, in this particular case, it worked in favour of Muslims, but there can be other times, for example, if Muslim people start making statements about gay people, then that same sort of offence. Um, crime could come back to bite them for for causing offence to another group. So it's a dangerous, dangerous territory where we can't actually talk about things. We must be able to talk and criticise and debate concepts, uh, provided we're not inciting violence, surely. Exactly, exactly. that's yeah. right. Um... So, so this all happened at the same time that um, Ireland uh, had a referendum on blasphemy laws and, and got rid of... Um, a blasphemy law well that was done still in the books. Yeah. So on the one hand, we've got countries that are getting rid of these laws about religious blasphemy, but they're replacing those laws with a kind of a secular version. So, oh, you can't take, you know, it used to be you couldn't take, you know, the, the Lord's name in vain or whatever. Uh, now you can say that, but you can't do things that will cause offence to certain groups. Mm. And it's a sort of a secular version 
we're, we're getting rid of one version of blasphemy and, and putting in place a secular version. Yes. Uh, isn't this just obvious? Like, I just can't. I would have thought so. Yes. I mean, say, say you want to argue the toss about the age when yeah. you call someone a pedophile for having mm. you know, sex with a with a um, with a, a, a female. Mm. You can argue argue the toss about that, but unless you're allowed to argue it, then. Mm. You don't get anywhere with the conversation, do you? You don't get yes. anywhere. You don't go forward. So no, you don't. Unless you have that aspect, that, you know, be able to talk about these things. How how can we go forward? Mm. Mm. There was a very interesting um, message that was sent to us on Facebook by I can't remember who it was, but he said that he had been speaking to that lady that runs the soup kitchen or something down there in Melbourne. I think it might have been Jimmy was saying that. Jimmy was it? Yeah. yeah. Mm. He said that um, he had asked her about that, and she came back to him and said, "Oh, you've got to get your you've got to get your facts right. You should do some more research and find out the whole thing in its cultural appropriateness or something like that." Yeah, context of the time. Context of the time. Mm. You know. I, I, okay. Well, at least it's a discussion. It's a discussion. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was a discussion, yeah. and that's what these people could say. Well, you know, having underage. Wives was common for the time, so yeah. give him a break. And yeah. chopping people's heads off was as well. So give him yeah. some, cut him some slack. He was mm. just doing what was yeah. appropriate for the time. You know, if that's your argument, but it's a terrible argument. I, I mean, think it's, it's a dreadful argument. It's but supposed but to be a timeless book that's laying yes. down morals for you yes, know all eternity. Right. But hang on a minute, you've also then at the same time saying, oh well, there's morals that were applicable for just that particular time. So yes. it doesn't make sense, but. Yes. Um, but yeah, you've got to be able to talk about it. Interesting is interesting thing is how the courts dealt with it in Austria. And did you say it was the European Court of Appeal or something? Yeah, that, it yeah. was the European Court of Human Rights. Human Rights, no less. So this sort of makes me think you know, when when you look through what is it the, um, the the greed to human rights? There's a list in the I don't know what the body is the. International Covenant of whatever. Yes, Um, And you look through that and you look at the section where it talks about um, the human right of freedom of religion. Yes. I wonder if the problem is that they don't have that right of freedom from religion and that's where it's so focused on freedom of religion that you you don't get the corollary, which is the right of freedom from religion. And that's a bit of a hole in that... List of human rights. Yeah, yeah, and that's where we need to be able to have a hierarchy of rights and to recognise, you know, is something innate in somebody? Is it something that has ideological content? If it's in the latter category, then it's up for criticism. Yes, and you just don't see people breaking it down like that. The and you know in these. Human Rights Acts, you don't see it broken down like that either. So on that score, it's something that was going to... Again, I was going to talk about it later in the podcast, but Queensland, at some stage yes. this week, yes, is supposedly introducing some sort of Human Rights Act. Yes, and I would like to see what it says. <laughs> this is the whole point. We've had nothing of it. We've had nothing of it reported on. And this is the thing that I find very disappointing is that the government has decided not to... Um, Tell us anything about it. You know, it makes no sense whatsoever that they're just going to go through 
And this could have very wide ramifications for us all because it's the Human Rights Act that they're putting together. And as Trevor has said before, these things always end up in court. Yes. And as they end up in court, you then have the courts going to be deciding on laws. Yes, and are we going to see the Austrian-type thing come through because the stated human rights aren't um, covering the ground that they should do? Yeah. Yep, could be giving way too much um, strength to certain aspects of life, religious privilege, exactly, and not enough to freedom of speech. Yes. Having said that, you know, these freedom for faith guys are pretty pro-free speech, I've found, in Australia. A lot of their musings are actually quite in favour of people being able to debate and criticise. So the Australian sort of version, the, the, the Christian groups, they're pretty much in... It's one of the few things we agree on, actually, is, is a freedom to criticise yes. uh, aspects. So who knows what's going to be... They really want to criticise, so, yeah, that's, <laughs> so that's, right. that's why they're in favour of it. <laughs> that's right. They recognise that they want to be able to criticise other religions. Exactly. Yeah. And given that they're the majority, they, they've got a weight advantage. Yes. So in a battle of criticism, they'll come out on top. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, so that's uh, going to come out. And, you know, before the election, there was no talk of that in this, really. No, there wasn't. I, I, you know, certainly the, no detail. If there well, there was. was there was no talk of abortion law reform. There was no talk of... Um, Voluntary euthanasia, which I gather is coming up early next year. Yeah. You know, all these things which I do agree wholeheartedly with the government on. However, this has slipped straight through mm. and it looks like it's going to be passed without any debate. It makes no sense. I think that the government will regret it, though, one day when they find their laws being held up and being challenged in the courts over this law. Yeah. Surely this has to go to a committee or something? One would have thought so. Mm. So does this fall under your um, title of Bill of Rights or is that a separate sort of thing or is this exactly it? Well, it depends what it says, but it sounds and smells like a Bill of Rights to me. (laughs) It quacks like a duck, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes, it does. Yeah. So... uh, well, if we're going to have a Bill of Rights, I would mm. prefer it to be a legislated Bill of Rights and that sort of thing so that you can you can change it if it turns out to be disastrous. But the fact that they've opened it up and they've put it, in the, they've put it on the law books and all that sort of thing... Well, they're going to try to. Who knows? Anyway, right-wing Tony's against the Bill of Rights, by the way. Absolutely is, yeah. And he's got oh, okay. bloody good reason for it, too. Mm. Mm. So once the text of it comes out, I might be able to do something with uh, right-wing Tony and... We'll discuss it. So, I look forward to that. Right, <laughs> <laughs> I do like right wing Tony. Actually, <laughs> when I met the guys uh, um, in Sydney, one of the guys, uh, Gavin, said, "Oh, the, the Tony is coming along." To the, it's not right wing Tony, is it? I said, "No, no, no." He said, "Oh, good," because I wasn't sure I could I could take too much of right wing Tony. We love you, right wing Tony. Mm. <laughs> we do. We do. Scientists have recently discovered that expat tribe members, listening to their musings from both far and wide, have been contributing to the group's well-being and habitat infrastructure through something called Patreon. Some for as little as one dollar a podcast. It really is making a difference, and it's been observed to enrich the tribe as a whole, with contributing members experiencing measured dopamine spikes when new episodes are released, 
and even intermittent bouts of persistent smiling while listening. Ah, there seems to be movement again. If we listen carefully, we may be able to make out the discussion once more. Things could be worse. We could be in Brazil. So Brazil has just um, elected a character, it seems, Mm. uh, a far-right character, and the motto of his campaign was Brazil before everything and God above all. Oh, my goodness. So that's... That's not good. He's a hell of a worry too. Like mm. he's um he's very praising of the military and that sort of thing. Mm. In Brazil, it wasn't all that long ago that they were under a military dictatorship. Yes, you know, um, it's it's a hell of a worry for the whole country. Mm. They're in trouble. Mm. Very are much we, so. Are we are we seeing this sort of like this Trump and in the Filipino guy mm. and the, strong, the rise Duterte. of the strong man sort of the thing. The strong man thing and you know, mm. you've got Putin there and, and that or, or they always been there or is it and it's my imagination that these guys are coming through and they can say what they want to say with and it doesn't matter if it's true or anything, it just goes straight through. It it feels like it's on the rise, doesn't mm. it? It does, yeah. But well, well when the major country in the world, the United States, elects a character like that, yes. you, it's hard to deny. Yes, that's right. So yeah. It's it's yeah. very easy for gullible, credulous people to just look for a simple solution and just to go for what what seems and without thinking to just go. Oh, he's a strong man; he'll fix things. He says he'll fix things. I'll vote for him. Yeah, and, it's, it's uh, like a snake oil salesman yeah, sort of thing. Yes, he'll just say whatever he needs to get the money, get the votes. Yeah, yeah. some people and some cultures perhaps are more susceptible to that. Than, yeah. than others. Yeah, I'd like to think Australia, with the tall poppy syndrome and our innate sort of scepticism of of authority yes. and people who think they're better than the rest of us, that we want to drag down, we wouldn't fall for that. You don't seem completely convinced no, by no, your own no, argument. No, no. <laughs> I said I'd like to think, but I'm not sure. I'd like to think. We'll see. Yes. We'll, we'll know in the next couple of years how things pan out. Yeah, yeah. we will. Um, so speaking about you know needing some comparative uh, religious education would be great instead of just Bible lessons or, and some sort of secular confirmation. <coughs> some sort of secular confirmation ceremony would be great. And um, the, the, well, I guess an example of why that would be handy be, you know, what's going on in America recently. There was another mass shooting, this time at a synagogue, and um, Mike Pence, the vice president, trotted out a Jewish leader to make some statements and lead the people in prayer. And But the guy he got um, was a really odd character. Um, so uh, I'll just read a bit from this article. It says, at a campaign stop... In Michigan this week, Vice President Mike Pence condemned anti-Semitism and the deadly massacre and asked a leader in the Jewish community to offer prayer for the victims and the country. As he began his prayer, it became evidently clear that the rabbi, Lauren Jacobs, of Congregation Shema Yisrael in suburban Detroit, would not be considered a Jew by any of the four major denominations of Judaism because in his prayer he mentioned the saving power of the Lord and concluded, in the name of Jesus, Amen. So this is a Jew. Really? 
declaring in the name of Jesus, Amen. And apparently this guy is from this sort of sect of, well, open inverted commas, Judaism, close inverted commas, uh, fondly known as Jews for Jesus, who claim to be Jews but in fact believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Yes. And, of course, if you have done any comparative religious education study, you would know that that's just anathema to a Jewish person to... to to accept that yes. Jesus, that's the whole point of, yes. of yes. Judaism, is that no, we're still waiting and we're different to Christianity and we're just the first book of the Bible. We don't believe in the second. So, um, so anyway, a little bit of religious knowledge can mm. be handy for things as sort of everyday as that. Yeah, Jews for Jesus. Hadn't heard of them before, but... I've heard of them before, but I never realised that they had a public spokesperson. Yeah, yeah. Sinead O'Connor, heard of her? Ah, the the singer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful voice. Yes. Lovely voice. Yes. Mm. Yeah. She's declared, uh, she's announced she's converted to Islam and she's changed her name. Oh my goodness, another Cat Stevens. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. The Irish performer revealed she's now called Shahada David. And she said, quote, uh, this is to announce I am proud to have become a Muslim. This is a natural conclusion of any intelligent theologian's journey. Wow. All scripture study leads to Islam, which makes all other scriptures redundant. Uh, she goes on. And in the article in the uh, Brisbane Times, I think it was from, the very next paragraph says, O'Connor has a history of mental health issues. And then starts... Announcing some, which she's, she has had a history of mental health issues. So. Yeah. There we go. Mm. Great voice, but uh, she's done another. She's done a Cat Stevens. You're right. She's done a Cat Stevens, and yeah. the, the biggest problem for her is I don't think the name's catchy enough. So, <laughs> so I think she's got to go down because no one's going to be able to remember the name. What was Cat Stevens' name after he joined? The well, that's, that's my whole point. I can't oh. remember. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> Hang on. Wasn't it Yusuf? Oh, Yusuf Islam. Islam or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, Yusuf. Yeah. yeah. So hers is Shahada, Shahada David. Ah, no yeah. chance. No, no. Ah, she's yeah. gone. In Ireland, they've got no chance of saying that. Yeah. Well. Yep. Uh, Another one bites the dust. <laughs> a few weeks ago, we had uh, David Gillespie talking about private and public schools and how there was no guarantee of a better education in a private school. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not. Depends on the circumstances. But um, just uh, <coughs> as um, the Grattan Institute did a significant study of NAPLAN results and compared to public versus private schools. And according to their report, um, uh, there's actually very little difference among different school sectors, government, independent or Catholic. In our analysis, when you look at achievement levels, the socio-economic background of the student is about twice as important as anything associated with the school. Yep, sounds, mm. sounds right. Mm. Yeah. Would you like to put, um, you know... Oh, here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> not, deep throat, not only are you, you our man on field excursions, but you're also our expert on homeschooling. And a, oh, a couple of months ago now we had the Aboriginal family who was conducting homeschooling because they wanted to uh, make sure that their children uh, knew all of their Aboriginal culture and... Mm. Um, 
Yeah. So how's homeschooling go in terms of academic results? Well, first, I'd like to say that that, that podcast with David Gillespie, that was, mm. that was fabulous. That was wonderful. And uh, I, I got a lot from that and it opened my eyes about quite a few, few things. So it's great to have good evidence you know, presented. Mm. Um, some things you need to check, but um, yeah, it was fabulous. Um, just to give a bit of background to my circumstance here, we got, we've got two sons and we brought up our first son in, uh, um, in a private school setting um, and he, he went through a few schools and um, one of them was a Catholic school as well. So he went through the whole system um, in the schooling system. Our second son um, has dyslexia and he was falling way behind in his schooling and there, it became readily apparent that there was no way that he was going to get a proper education through any of our um, schooling systems at all. Um, now, people might argue with me, but we tried a few and uh, it wasn't working out. So we felt we had no option but to homeschool him. Uh, fortunately, my wife is a teacher and that makes it a bit easier to make that, that leap and that journey. And um, it was a real eye-opener to me. It was just like I was not aware of this world of homeschooling. And uh, I probably had a lot of prejudices against certain aspects of it. And uh, they rapidly evaporated as, I, as we went on our journey. Mm. So, and a couple of things just to put it in context from our point of view was that there are different systems out there other than their traditional schooling, schooling system. And probably around the world, in schooling itself, there are probably lots of different systems other than the Australian system. And we saw that some of that with David Gillespie, the way he was talking about in, well, I don't know if it was Sweden or Finland, or one of those where they can have students up to 40 kids in a class. 70 uh, of them, I think it was. 70, was it? Yeah. So, and, and yet it was working better than Australia. Mm. That was my figure of 70. Was it? He yeah. didn't agree to that one. Didn't, didn't yeah. agree to yeah. Okay. But anyway, just to show you that there is different um, formats. Mm. But at the other end of the spectrum is homeschooling. And for me, it was quite an eye-opener when I interacted with other parents um, about their home, what they did in homeschooling. But the thing that really opened my eyes when I interacted with homeschooled children, I thought, these kids are completely different from the kids that come through school. You know, there's, there's sort of like kids that come through school are sort of um, socialised in a different sort of way. And, uh, and that really just bowled me over. So they were different in a good way? In a good way, yes. Mm. Yes, in a good way. And Able to... Well, in what way? In the way that they were more, more mature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they weren't so childish right. in, in a way. They were still kids, but they mm-hmm. were able to interact not just with, with adults, but also with kids at different ages as well. Mm. Uh, and the other thing, there was the, um, the myth that um, homeschoolers don't get enough socialisation and that. Um, because of that awareness in the homeschooling community, there's a lot of effort goes into... To, to that socialisation and, and um, meeting with other children and parents and that. And it becomes like one big family where you've got all these um, people interacting with their kids in the, in the, in the schooling process. And that, bring, that makes a different sort of a, um, atmosphere 
than in the school atmosphere. You have parents come in, they might be involved in, in schooling in, in terms of um, working bees or after hours type um, activities and that. And, um, but it, it's not quite the same involvement as a, as a homeschooling parent where you're there involved in the activity with your child. Mm. So, yeah, that puts it in context. Um, did you want to ask me any questions? I, I did. So um, I think you've mentioned this before. Were there a lot of Christians then in the homeschooling world? In our, in our group, which I guess over the years is probably, I'd say, 100 families. You know, mm. Families come and go depending mm. on, you know, because this day and age people, you know, mm. adults get jobs in different cities and stuff like that. But I can't recall any that were using homeschooling as a, as a religious sort of thing. It was more because of a philosophical thing. They said, yep. schooling doesn't work for my child, or it didn't work for me, yep. and therefore I'm going to homeschool. Yep. Homeschool. And the other question was, so the dyslexia, so your wife had to then teach in a certain way. Yes. Could a school have done that, let's say, not easily, but... You know what I mean? Like, yes. would it have been that hard for a school to do it? Yes, it, 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 it. Well, it's not hard to do it, and and that was why I found David Gillespie's um, um, uh, things that he talked about on your podcast a mm. bit of an eye opener. Because if you had um, bigger numbers in a class, then you could use the money saved to um, be more equitable in terms of finding kids, you know, helping kids who had problems and difficulties, mm. and Dyslexic kids can be taught, and, they, and, and there's no reason they can't do well. They just don't do well in our education system. They don't do very well at all. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, the answer to your question is yes, they could do, mm. do well. Mm. Yeah. 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 The, the thing that's you – know, I know you brought it up in a previous podcast and that, and I've put my tuppence worth too um, about the religious aspect, and there's definitely – homeschooling uh, groups out there who purely do it on a religious basis. And I'm not sure, no, no, numbers-wise, I've, I've presented those numbers to you as I see them in the past, and I don't think they're that high. And, and I think you've lumped in religious reasons and philosophical reasons as the same sort of thing. Well, mm. I'm thinking of philosophical reasons as just against schooling yeah. rather than on religious grounds. But the other thing is I have your same fears that... Uh, if too many people do this, there'll be a, a sort of a sway of, of segregation based on, on homeschooling, the same as there's a, a, a sway of, relig- uh, of um, segregation based on schooling at the present, present time with um, private schools, private religious schools and, and secular schools, which I, I don't agree with this segregation business. Right. And I think it's the same sort of thing. You, the, think, you think homeschool kids will be looked down on, is that what you're saying? Or, or the other way around. Snob, in a snobbish way either, okay. Or the other way around, right. that's right. You're segregating kids mm. based on, on, that, mm. on that premise. And mm. uh, if, it's, if, you, if you're homeschooling just for religious grounds, then I think that's a dangerous sort of thing to do yeah. because the kids don't sort of interact with... With others, but you get mm. that in in religious schools too, mm. you know, to different degrees depending on the religious school. Mm. Um, yeah, the other thing that I do concede is that if you're doing homeschooling, you've just got to decide on how you're going to teach your child. You can do it as a sort of like a distant education thing, where you're basically taking the same setup in a school and you're doing it at home. Yeah. 
which sort of defeats the purpose a little bit of homeschooling because mm. why not just send them to school if you go do the same thing? And, yes. And we could have done that with, with, with our son, but it, would have, it just wouldn't have worked. Yeah. So the one thing that's happened is that the religious school, the relig- religious organisations have picked up on this. So a lot of the programs that are available for parents to do homeschooling are being, pres- are being put out there by religious organisations um, under the umbrella of religious schools. And there's not so many programs from secular right. sources. So some secular families will resort to a scripture union sort of exactly. curriculum because yeah. that's well, it's not much choice. Exactly, exactly. Oh, so, um, and my wife, who's still connected with the homeschooling community, mm. um, our, our son's grown up now, mm. um, has been aware in recent times that the religious organisations are aware of this swing away from schools to homeschooling because their child's got a problem. They've got dyslexia or emotional problem or any any number of problems that cause kids to have great difficulties at school. They see a market. They see a market. They see a market. So now they're targeting... Um, disability, if you, oh, in, in whatever form, whatever oh, you're form. You're depressing me now. I'm really depressing <laughs> yeah. you, aren't I? It's, it's, it worries me. Yeah. It worries me. Yeah. And uh, so this is sort of the swing that's happening at the present time. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it's quite a concern. Mm. The other thing I'd like to throw into the mix here is David Gillespie was looking at educational outcomes in private schools and religious schools and secular schools and didn't find much in it except that correlation, I think you said, with uh, socioeconomic group. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the same thing occurs in homeschooling, except I'd like to put 10 cents, my tuppence worth, 10 cents worth in in here and say that perhaps if he looked at homeschooling, he might find that homeschoolers do better than all those three groups. That would be interesting. Yes. 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 So, um, and... It's conceivable to see a reason why this could happen too because when you're in school, you've got one teacher with many kids, all right? How much time in a day can that teacher give to each child individually? Not much. Yeah. Not much. True. But a qualified teacher, I mean, in your case, you were lucky. Your wife was a qualified teacher. In most families, that would not be the case. Exactly. Homeschooling. So, although that's a high instance of homeschooling in teachers, which says a lot. Right. <laughs> it says an awful lot. Right. Yeah. Like, see what you're getting at. See, so that's where the professionalism comes in with teaching, mm. isn't it? That it's not just teaching; it's teaching to a group of children, a group mm. of children. And that's where it's. It'd be very hard for someone to come off the street or any parent to go, well, here are 30 kids, go and handle them. You've got to have training to do that. Yeah. But, but one-on-one with your own child, that's a different setup. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but, a different you know, game. How many parents could actually teach, you know, Math C to their kids, you know? Well, this is where physics I think... physics or chemistry, you know, yeah. you know, the higher level stuff, not a lot of parents be way beyond them. Yeah, I, I, can, I can see that, that maybe the parents are self-selecting mm. and possibly that's why I'm seeing figures where homeschoolers mm. do a lot better than non-homeschoolers mm. and it's because there's this self-selecting that these parents say, well, I can do this, yeah. Mm. But also I think you've got to be careful about the way that you look at the homeschooling process in that in teaching kids it's a, it's a journey. So Mass mm. C 
even if the, the if the parent was going through the humanities and became a lawyer, mm. <laughs> not a mathematician, mm. uh, for an example, then they could still deal with it because the child and the parent are going through this journey together in terms of lear- uh, learning about Mass C. Mm. And so I think it's... I think, but, but not everyone can do it. Like, not everyone. Not, you know, if, if your teacher cannot work out the sums and the calculations, then, you know... How can the student? <laughs> um, I think you. I think you've got the wrong end of the stick. I'm, okay. I'm going to have to work on you here yeah, because yeah, yeah. because I don't think learning things is about yeah. necessarily a teacher having to know that stuff. Right. right. Okay. Just, I just that's but, okay. that's not what it's about. If that's what it's about, right. then you miss the boat before you even start. Right. You yeah. don't need a professor of maths to teach a child how to do maths. Right. And or and you. you, you it's about the process of learning. But, but if a kid's looking at a complicated algebraic, you know, equation and yes. just says, I just don't know how to do this. Yes. What does a homeschool parent do then? Well, they explore it with the child together, yeah. And they both conclude they can't do it. <laughs> what do they do then? Um, does this not happen a lot? I can't really speak to that because it's never happened from, in our yeah. family anyway. But... Uh, um, I, I, I still. Th- I assume amongst the group they would have experts, and they could say, "Look, I'm really good at yeah. physics. If you if you get a problem, yeah, call me up and I'll help you out." So yeah, I there's, 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 there's lots of help out there yeah. in the community, yeah. and also we we, we had yeah. mass days, you know, mm. social mass days, and right, and all these different days with different topics on it. Uh, yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I'd, if I can just give one takeaway sort of message to you. Mm. Think about when you were a Catholic and now you're not a Catholic, all right? Yeah. It's the same thing. You've got, you know, that baggage you had. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. baggage you have yeah. to be where you got the baggage to know yes. where you're going, all right? Yes. So with, with homeschooling. So, yes. Um, and, and, and just to say that when I finally, the, the, the penny dropped for me, because we'd been homeschooling yeah. for a while until I finally saw what was happening and finally went, Oh, hang on, that's what it's all about. Yeah. But, you know, even just in essay writing, like a kid could write an essay that's pretty yeah. average, but if the adult is not well-read and intelligent, they could look at it and go, oh, that looks all right, but it might be terrible. Like it's The you, other you thing know, that's in the mix here now, which was difficult when we were doing homeschooling because that was quite a few years back now, mm-hmm. is that there's so many resources available now on the internet and... Mm-hmm libraries and, and everywhere, that yeah. all those resources, the, the public is more resourced than most schools were when I went through school. Yes. By a long shot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, a, but an internet resource can't look at an essay and say, that's well written. Um, no, but, uh, yeah. And, <laughs> oh, you're right. I'm, I'm, I've got, I'm just taking the view that, uh, you need to be a pretty smart parent to pull it off. I, I, as I said, I concede that maybe parents are self-selecting when it yeah. comes to the, yeah. the homeschooling process, yeah. unless you're super See, religious. Maybe, to maybe you're yeah. the person with the baggage here because you've been immersed in the system and you were lucky well, because you had a wife who was a professional teacher. Yeah, I was lucky from that point of view. And to be honest, she's the expert and yes. she's the one that took the bulk of the, 
the, the work. But yes. um, the, on the mathematical side, I think I did the maths. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the science subjects. Yeah. Uh, you were, you, well, I was going to say you were uniquely resourced between the two of you to cover a lot. But yes. maybe not. Self-selecting means that it's people like you who do it more so than people who couldn't. Perhaps. Yes, yes, mm. yeah, quite yeah. possibly, quite possibly, yes, mm. yeah, um, yeah. I just yeah, you, I, you've put in a good word for homeschooling. If anyone right. out there is a homeschooler and wants to you know, add their two cents worth, yes, yeah, yep, yep. Write some Le- comments. Leave, leave, leave a comment from the fist. That's right. <laughs> Tell him why he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Now, a quick article I want to get to before we uh, wrap up is uh, Sydney Anglicans. Yes. Behaving badly again. So we've got the same-sex marriage plebiscite and we passed laws to say it's all good, but uh, the Sydney Anglicans have said, well, you won't be doing that nonsense on our property. So even though it's legal, we're not going to allow same-sex marriages or events like that uh, that have expressions of human sexuality contrary to our doctrine of marriage on any of our uh, thousands of church-owned properties. So this is going to apply to church halls, schools, counselling services, nursing homes, Anglican corporations. Um, All these groups will be expected to uphold a Christian ethos. Um, So they had a, a sort of a synod, something like that recently, And there's a bit of a brouhaha because what that meant was that Indigenous Australians wouldn't be able to hold smoking ceremonies on these Anglican church grounds. And people got up in arms and said, what? No smokings? Don't worry about the game weddings. But you... Are you serious? We can't have a smoking ceremony? <laughs> and the Anglicans went, oh, terribly sorry. Didn't mean to, didn't mean to ban that. Oh, we'll, we'll have to change that. So they then sort of changed their decision to allow a ex- special exemption for smoking, Aboriginal smoking ceremonies. They've just... really got their priorities topsy-turvy, haven't they? just find it incredible. You can, on the one hand, say, well, you gay guys, forget about it, but, oh, making ceremonies, that's okay. If anything was going to be more against the clear doctrines of the church, surely a pagan smoking ceremony, you know, making homage to the animist spirits of Aboriginal culture would be more against Anglican doctrine than... You know, natural love between two guys. Like, mm. really? These people have just got their priorities out of whack. Absolutely. Yeah. It made no sense whatsoever. You know, mm. there was this one line I was reading in it. Um, uh, God was not asleep before Captain Cook and Arthur Philip or before Christian theology. It's absurd. So I, for one, listen intently to the way of seeing the world that Aboriginal people bring to my consciousness and that sits comfortably when comfortably in where I sit as a Christian. Yeah, I got some, I got some weird ideas. It's interesting also in the Anglican Church how the Sydney Diocese is out of... <laughs> 
whack with the rest of the um, Anglicans Australia-wide. I happened to be talking with um, the Dean of um, St John's Cathedral and he's been pro-gay marriage and pro-homosexuality for decades. Um, And he was the one that came out and said that he went close to resigning from the Anglican Church on the basis of how the Sydney Diocese um, went for the yes, the the, the, the no vote, yep. and gave that million dollars. Um, and he said a lot of the, the, the obviously the Sydney Diocese was much richer than the other Anglicans Australia wide. So yep. he was quite dirty on that. Yeah, yep, yep. They're red hot down there, the Sydney Anglicans. There's no doubt about it, no mm. doubt about it. But uh, they've got a soft spot for smoking ceremonies. <laughs> it's like the bloody Greens. You know, we, we, we talked about the Greens a couple of weeks ago, you know, how they had, you know, what's her name? The woman from New South Wales. Can't think what her name is. Yeah, she was the one that actually was the person that proposed that we get rid of the Lord's Prayer. Rhiannon? Yeah, Lee Rhiannon, that was her. You know, made absolutely perfect sense. But, oh, no, 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 we're still going to have the whole... Welcome to country and all that sort of thing, you know. Yes. Where we're still gonna we're still gonna give thanks to elders, past and present, you know. Mm. Mm. You're just gonna replace one lot of superstition with another lot of superstition. Mm. All right. Well, I reckon we're ready to wrap it up. I had I've got a cake shop story which was just all lined up for the twelfth man, but okay. you've got can, your finger up. Oh please. yeah. Can I um, mm. just one thing for my last yeah, yeah. last appearance <laughs> yeah. before we wrap up. Yeah. <laughs> On the way home with with Scott, I thought, ah, oh, you know, I didn't handle that well. You brought up about the Hippocratic Oath and that, and oh, yeah. um, quizzed me about the Hippocratic Oath, which I knew nothing about. I'd <laughs> long forgotten about it, and, and what what oath I did I did uh, talk about. And I thought, you know what? After I should have said to Trevor what the basis of my values were as a GP, yes. and uh, and. Uh, and shared it with the, with the dear listeners. Oh, please, and I thought, well, this is it. I'm back here. I might as well do it there. Yeah. So I, I had three sort of maxims, you might say, to, mm. to sort of guide me on my on my journey in in general practice. And the first one was the first one is um, uh, patients don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, and uh, mm. so. If you're in the business of the of the caring profession, mm. you've got to you've got to actually not just go through the motions. You've got to really care what you've been doing about. It. You've got to care for the patient. Um, and the mm. other, the, the the second, my second maxim is mm. um, compassion without knowledge is dangerous. So if you're a really caring person, but you know bugger all, you're going to hurt someone. Yes, <laughs> yes. it's going to hurt yes. someone. And the third maxim is, is, is something that's pushed hard in medical school now, which is evidence-based medicine. And I can't remember the exact definition, but something like um, um, evidence-based medicine is the best clinical evidence that's available married with the skills of the doctor with the values of the patient. And so that's that's evidence based clinical evidence based medicine. So mm. they're my three maxims. So there we go. 
I've well, shared it now with the... I want to argue with you about okay, it. Okay, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> go for it. Well, the, the first one again was about caring and knowledge. How that yeah, um, it's um, patients don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Okay. If, if, I'm, if I need a major knee operation yes. and they say, the GP says, well, there's a couple of specialists you can go to. Yes. One of them, he's really knowledgeable, very skillful. Yes. And he's an asshole. Yes. And he treats you like shit. Yeah. But there's this other guy who's, God, he's a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> really, really, really yep. nice. But he's pretty sloppy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's the asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, can I just butt in just, yeah, just yeah. there is? Yeah, I'm done. There are three of them. You've got to buy all three, okay? You can't just take one. Okay. Yeah. And the reason, the reason is, so, yeah. um, just to sort of give you an example, if you are... And, yeah, I don't, yeah, based on truth, on a a true story, as it were, but not giving any names or anything else, a professor of a certain clinical area, um, so he knows a hell of a lot, all right, patient comes in, starts to talk about their problem, he cuts them off and says, yeah, I know what you need, you need this, 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 this. Mm. Person tries to talk about stuff and, and, and no, forget about it, forget about it. No, mm. I know what you've got to do, you've got to do this and this and this. Patient was trying to tell them about an allergy they had. Oh. <laughs> oh. Next day they're in the hospital being treated for this major allergy. You have to care about what the person's saying. You have to be in a yes. partnership. You have to listen to them. Yes. Otherwise you're going to come unstuck no matter how much you know. Yes. So... So, yeah, I'm when you go and see the to, arsehole... I, I just wanted to debate just for the sake yeah. of it. <laughs> and you're trying to get across that you've got this major problem with this particular <laughs> drug. Yeah. And while you're under having your anaesthetic, the anaesthetist gives you this stuff. <laughs> and there you are dying on the table. Wow. Remember that first maxim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah. There you go. All right, dear listener, we're done and dusted. Uh, Thank you very much, Deep Throat, for, for, for coming along and um, looking forward to you grabbing the microphone at the Free for Faith. <laughs> and It'll be a sight to see. And, re- and refusing to hand it back until your questions are answered and your comments are made. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Thank you very much, Trevor. Thank yeah. you very much, uh, Deep Throat. Yeah. Much appreciated. Yep. And thank, you, thank you very much to the listeners. Yes, thank you, dear listeners. Talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast, and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like, grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf, on their phone, and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon, and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really, the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? 
Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.